Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. Today I am joined by the one and only Adam Rapon. I don't know that he needs an introduction, but I'll be a responsible host and tell you that he is an Olympic figure skater who won a bronze medal in 2018. He is also a Dancing with the Stars champion, and as I saw People Magazine put it, a television personality. He's been in a Taylor Swift video and guest hosted RuPaul's Drag Race. He's also an author. His memoir, Beautiful on the Outside, came out in 2019. Adam, welcome to Burn It All Down. Um, thank you so much for having me. What a lovely bio. Thank you for being responsible. <laughs> You're welcome. I can't, I, I can't help <laughs> it. Um, I, so I always like to start at the beginning. And so I want to know, how did you get into figure skating? Um, well, so, uh, I live in California now, but, um, I'm originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And so, um, in Scranton, we have, you know, really cold winters. So every winter <laughs> sounds terrible. It is a lot different than the winters I experience <laughs> now. So every winter, my mom would take me ice skating and every winter I hated it and never wanted to go. Um, the only thing I wanted was a soft pretzel and a hot chocolate, which um, you can't blame me, right? It sounds no. delicious. Yes. And uh, finally, there was one winter where there was this person in my class and they were having a birthday party and we went to this new indoor rink. And um, at the rink, I saw people skating in the middle and in the middle if you've ever been to like a public skate in the middle is usually where like the skaters that know what they're doing are and all of a sudden I was like I need to be in the middle <laughs> and I wanted to keep going back to the rink after that because I had this goal of like making it into the middle of the rink and um I ended up really falling in love with it. And as a birthday present um, for my 10th birthday, uh, I got signed up for the group lesson classes at that rink. And then the rest is history. When did you know you were good? I mean, I like to think that I knew I was good at that birthday party when I knew <laughs> that I wanted to be in the middle. Um, and then, you know, when I was young, I started to like, um, I started to really progress quickly. And I think I really, really enjoyed that because I did a little bit of everything. Hmm. Um, I was a, a former tennis player, oh. a former swimming star. What did you swim? I swam at the Nichols Village Hotel's pool and did drop out of those classes when we needed to open our eyes underwater. <laughs> So okay. I swam very recreationally. <laughs> didn't I didn't really make it pro. Um, okay, I per gotcha, se. Gotcha. Yes. Um, death by chlorine, sort of. Yeah, fair. And tennis was, I liked playing tennis, but I truly only liked going to the Birchwood Racket Club. Um, none of these are sponsored, by the way. I'm really just kind of name dropping everything. <laughs> um, uh, the Birchwood Racket Club. I only wanted a red Powerade. Um, and so... Skating was the first time I was doing something that I just, I loved it. I loved the skating. And um, as like a young kid in Pennsylvania, I also, it was like the first time I found like a sense of community at the rink because mm -hmm. it was like, I loved skating and everybody who was there loved skating. And um, it was, it was the best thing for me. Hmm. Well, that's, that's a good origin story. 
Uh, you were recently on the latest season of the excellent podcast, Blind Landing, talking about queer figure skaters and queerness in figure skating. And you were famously, I'd say, publicly out going into the 2018 Olympics. Why do you think that there's still so much homophobia in this sport? Uh, I think that there's homophobia in sport in general. Um, I am a firm believer that homophobia in sport is based in misogyny. Um, and it's based in this sort of mentality that um, women are weaker than men and uh, a man is tougher than a woman. And I think that when you're in sport, you never want to come off as weaker or vulnerable or not tough. And I think that uh, sometimes being gay can be perceived as being feminine. And I think that there is this fear that I, someone won't think that I'm strong enough or I can handle pressure or they'll think less of me. Um, and I think that that's just a mentality in sports that's incredibly hard to break um, and, uh, you know, poisonous to so many of the athletes. And when I say so many, I mean all of them. It's it's poisonous to think in that mindset. Being tough has nothing to do with um, the way you are perceived or sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, you know, none of that has anything to do with being a good athlete. So I know that the first time... Um, I really considered coming out publicly because there was a time where I thought like, oh, I'll never say anything publicly because there's no point. You know, I am who I am. My friends love me. My coaches really admire the way that um, I work and how dedicated I am. And, um, you know, I don't need to explain who I am. Um, and the first time I felt that it was important was heading into the 2014 games in Russia. And right before those games, Russia came out with this famous anti-gay propaganda law, um, which is still to this day as vague as it sounds. I remember being asked about being gay, and I never said anything, and I really regretted not saying anything. I didn't make that Olympic team, so, I mean, it didn't matter, but... I knew in the next few years um, that I wanted to go back and I wanted to like amend a few of those things that I felt like I, I wish if I could go back, I would redo that. So in the next few years heading into the 2018 games, I, I tried to focus in, on doing that um, because when I was coming out in my personal life, uh, it gave me a lot of strength to hear and read about other people's coming out experiences um, you know, outside of sport and in sport, um, you know, I really vividly remember Jason Collins coming out and, uh, I wanted to just kind of put my voice into that conversation. Um, when I came out, it was to like, you know, a small skating audience. It was like in, if you're a member of us figure skating, which is like the governing body and it's like a, a subdivision of Team USA. So like Team USA has all these branches and these NGBs. So like the national governing bodies. So there's like a USA swimming, a USA gymnastics, and there's a US figure skating. So um, if you're a member of US figure skating, there's a magazine that comes out like bi-monthly and they were doing an interview with me. And in the interview, I just kind of hinted 
um, that before the interview, I was like, I want to talk about my coming out experience. And I heard from like the president of U.S. figure skating and the director and um, they called me and they were like, we just want you to know that like we're behind you 100 percent. And um, I said, you know, I don't want to make it a big thing. I just want to put it in because you're going to ask me about like, you know, my story and like things like that. And I want to be able to include that because it's an important thing for me. And it's something that I think really helped shape me into the athlete I am today. And so it was just tucked in there. And so like maybe two weeks after the magazine came out, um, you know, somebody said something on Twitter. Few people were like, you know, that's great. We love you. It was, you know, it was very low key and it was fantastic. The best coming out experience you could have as like an athlete. Um, so obviously it was never something that was in the forefront of my mind, um, because it wasn't something I had recently talked about. Interesting. But okay. obviously getting ready for the 2018 games, I had been an out athlete for like three years at that point. Um, I was out when I won my national title. I was out going to world championships. Um, so when I made that Olympic team, you know, being an out athlete wasn't even something that had crossed my mind. Hmm. And then it was you and Gus. And then it was just the two lone rangers yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, when I was out as an athlete um, before the games, I was the only out competitive athlete. I wasn't the only gay athlete, but I was the only out. Right. You know, I, I knew that and I was aware of that, but I felt like I had a little bit more foresight into, um, you know, it was really important for me to be out, even if nobody like read it or it didn't affect anyone. It was me just redoing something I wish I could have done better heading into those 2014 games. Um, so I did it for my, I did it for myself. I did it for that younger version of myself. I did it for that person who watched those coming out YouTube videos. Um, so I did it for like a super personal reason. Um, have you met Jason Collins? I have met Jason Collins. He's and so nice. He's the best. And he tells the story of meeting Martina. Like for him, mm -hmm. he like, and you, so you can just sort of see the the lineage that you are now part of. What an honor for me to be a part of that lineage. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Jason is just, he's been one of the nicest and best people I've gotten to meet, um, you know, because of the Olympics. And I just admire him so much. I remember like reading that article and what it like meant for me to see that and to read that. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so I did ask the Twitters if anyone had questions. And so Twitter is like the most embarrassing space because someone who goes by proper sneakers asked a very good question. And so I have to give proper sneakers their credit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we always? I know, right? Uh, will figure skating ever move away from heteronormativity and pairs skating? Will this category ever include more expansive pairs? What do you think about that? Um, so what I think about it is that um, I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, that there is no rule that says that it has to be a, a man and a woman. But what I do think is that like uh, when you're thinking of pair skating and the elements that need to be done, um, there needs to be one really strong, tall person and there needs to be one very light, shorter person. Sounds like they've built the heteronormativity almost right into it. It does feel that way <laughs> when you are saying it mm -hmm. that way. Yes. Yes. And so to be a really good pair, which is just two skaters, um, you're going to need somebody who's very light and acrobatic, and you're going to need somebody who's very strong and, um, you know, grounding to that acrobatic skater. 
So unless the the rules change or the demand of what like the the pairs need to do, I don't see it changing. But you know, I I don't think that there's, I think people, if there was like a a man and a man skating together and they could do all the elements and they could be competitive, I think people would be totally for it. I think they'd be getting a lot of kind of side eye, but um, you know, I think somebody would only do it if they felt like they like that would be their winning advantage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I would like to hear a bit about your transition from being an athlete to being a quote unquote television personality. Uh, (laughs) Did you find it hard to leave the ice and leave performing? Like what was the biggest challenge for you when you when you made that transition into media? You know, I think of Michael Phelps and his um, weight of gold documentary every time I kind of talk about this. Um, Because I truly believed in my heart that like I was not going to go through this like slump Mm. Um, because I knew what I wanted to do after my sport immediately. Um, You know, I wasn't expecting sort of the attention I got at the Olympics, but I knew that I loved engaging with people and I knew that I loved getting to communicate with people and making people laugh and entertaining them. And um, I think that skating was that for me for a very long time. And I felt that I could transition that into being um, a coach and that I could help, you know, relay the lessons I had learned as a skater to my students. And I felt like I would be a, a good coach. And so I'm like, I'll be a good coach because I can make people laugh, which is a yes and no mm-hmm, answer. Mm-hmm. And when I was at the Olympics, uh, it was just, you know, the way that I could make my friends laugh and I could, you know, engage with people. It was showcased for the first time. And I had always wanted to get into entertainment, but I never saw a direct path. And when I was there, all of a sudden it was like the doors were opened and I was like, yes, this is what I've always wanted to do my entire life. And so getting to channel what I had channeled into my skating now into this really creative and, um, you know, entertaining space, I love it. And it's honestly like from career to career, it's a seamless transition. If you are like an entertainer, and that was my Mm. favorite part about the skating was like the entertaining and the interviews and like, and to be able to turn that and and move it into just a solely entertainment position is like, for me, it feels so it's a perfect fit for who I am. Um, That being said, going from being an Olympic level athlete into any sort of job after or post, you know, athletic career is so weird. Mm. Um, And there was this like two and a half year slump where like I was working a lot and I was super grateful to be working, but the inconsistency of the scheduling and, you know, it's just so different because if I were, you know, to say, okay, hey, we're going to get ready. We're going to be a pair. We're going, we're going to also follow into the heteronormative. Yeah. You know, we, we are going to do it because yeah. we want to win mm-hmm. you and me. Let's get ready for the the games in Milan. If we sat down and we got a calendar out, I would be able to tell you where we would be in October, November, December for the next three years, Mm -hmm. when we would have a time for vacation. Like your life is regimented almost down to the day for years, Mm -hmm. years ahead. And, um, you know, and what I do now, it's things could change in an instant. You can get a call one day and be like, hey, you're going to be working for the next two weeks. 
Um, and, and you also could be, you know, not working for a few months. Mm-hmm. So that inconsistency drove me wild. And there's also this like, you don't want to go to the gym anymore because you used to just do that all the time and you don't have a, you have a weird relationship with it because you only know how to go and train for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to go just for your like personal health. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge like serotonin drop that like you just are so used to. It's a really wild uh, transition. And I think for me, I think Um, You know, when I watched that documentary, I think there's a few things where, um, you know, people who are at the very, very, very top of their sport, there's a lot of attention on them. And, you know, I was really good. I, you know, I was a national champion, Olympian, Olympic medalist. um, But I I was not the person that had all of those Mm. eyes on me. Um, You know, when I didn't make that Olympic team in 2014, I felt like I had kind of fallen out of good grace. Um, lost my health insurance, uh, because it was through the Olympic committee. I was no longer like, uh, I wasn't on an Olympic team or a world team. So I was off the health insurance. I needed to figure out how to get that on my own. You know, so many different, different things that you just don't really think about as an athlete that all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is real life. Yeah. And, and if I don't perform, it's not there. So in a way, I, I'm lucky and I'm grateful for it because I knew to be prepared for that when I left and not when I felt like I was being pushed out. Hmm. Wow. That's so interesting. I didn't even think about loss of health insurance. I mean, you know, what's crazy is that like um, I feel like in my sport in the U.S., um, there's very few people who um, make really good money. Um, and I think to like really completely financially – cover yourself without the help of like sponsorships or or without working um you need to be at least in the like the top six in the world hmm. because that means you're meddling that means you're getting good prize money it means you're being invited to shows that pay well um in europe and asia and you know u.s tours so you have to be super super elite to to be able to be making an income right and um I would say in the last few years of my career, I that's where I was. So I was, you know, making good money, but all of it was being completely thrown back into my sport. And um, I remember that I broke my foot a year before the Olympics. And um, I knew that I was going to miss, I was, my funding was going to get taken away. I knew that um, it was going to be really expensive. I wouldn't be able to do any of the shows in the summer. Um, and I just I knew that because it's based on criteria. That being said, I was at, I was the reigning national champion at the time mm-hmm. and had been doing really well the whole year. There was no no reason to believe that I wouldn't be in the top two or three again. Um, so when um, I broke my foot, I was also left off of the insurance again. That is so hard for me for you to tell me that you broke your foot and that's why you lose your health insurance. Yeah. And then also for our health insurance, it can't be a sport related accident to get covered. (gasps) Stop. Yeah. That was the other thing where I was lucky because I broke it off the ice. I was warming up and I was like, it's it's wild (laughs) that if it's a sports related injury, it's not covered by the insurance, which is 
insane, correct? You're paying out of pocket? Yes. For your sports injuries? Through your sports insurance. Okay, okay. It was, you know, if there was little things, it was like making sure that you could find a way that it wasn't sports related that you needed this or it wasn't like a pre-existing sort of condition. When you're an athlete, everything is pre-existing. Yeah, of course. Um, I remember that I was like, I already know that all of this like medical care is going to be expensive and rehab and like I can't afford it here in Los Angeles I can't it's just impossible but I was still like a team USA member and um, I was still able to like relocate to Colorado Springs where there's an Olympic training center and so um, I got in my little Jetta I packed it all the way up drove the whatever 17 hours I don't know what it is I drove all the way out there I lived there for a few months and, um, you know, my rent was covered. My food was all covered. All of my rehabilitation was all covered. I'm so grateful for that outlet. Um, but I was told to order this like bone stimulator machine, which is this little ultrasound machine. And then I would do it on like my foot to help it heal. I remember they were like, it'll be covered by your insurance to get this. And I was like, okay. Well, when I ordered it, that's when I had been kicked off the insurance. Oh, no. So after the Olympics, at this point, I now am making, uh, I have a regular income because I'm working yeah, all the Adam time. Yeah, you're Adam Rapon. Yeah. Yes. I'm post-Olympics <laughs> me. Yeah. And so um, I get a bill and it's like $15,000. <gasps> Stop. And I was like, I, I'm going to get this cleared up. But I remember thinking that like. I would want to vomit. If I got a bill like that. Oh, it was it was truly insane. And I was like, what if I was just what if I never made the Olympic yeah. team? I would really be stuck with this bill. Yeah. And so, you know, I called. It got settled immediately. I didn't have to pay anything. Um, but I really thought about like I could have been in such a horrible position to then, you know, leave my sport, retire, and then all of a sudden I'm slapped with another $15,000 debt. Yeah, more so, yeah. even more so, you know, because I was really truly able to train because of the good grace of so many people who like waited until I could pay them back. Wow. Well, I just really learned something there, man. Yeah, it is a wicked road. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wanted to talk about Beijing. Yeah. So you went, right? Because you were coaching. 
Mariah Bell. Yes, I was. How did that partnership come about? So Mariah and I um, trained together while um, I was training for the Olympics in Korea in 2018. Okay. And Mariah was an alternate to that team. Mariah was, you know, she's a few years younger than I am, so we didn't really, like, fraternize much. But, like, we were very friendly, and I really liked her. And, you know, we had a lot of fun together and a lot of fun training together. Maybe a year after I had retired, Mariah called and asked if I would do some choreography for her. Mm. And that's pretty non-committal because it's like you only need a few days to put something together. You know, there's a few days on my end to do like prep work of getting music and, you know, going back and forth with her. But then on the ice, it's, you know, three or four days. Okay. And um, we had such a great experience and we had so much fun. And um, she worked with the coach that I worked with, Rafael Artunian. Um, so we, it was lovely to be able to see my old coach and connect with all of my old like skating friends and see them. And um, then as like the, the seasons progressed, um, Mariah asked me and Raphael asked me if I could be more involved. And so that turned into doing another program with her. And then that turned into coaching her and giving her a few like lessons here or there. And then that transitioned into being like her assistant coach. Which I truly was only able to do and take on that responsibility because she worked with Raphael. Mm. And Raphael was really accommodating to like my own schedule. And Mariah was like a full woman adult, you know, in her 20s. Uh So I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to like babysit anyone. And um, it was more of like a mentorship sort of role Mm. um but i would say that like that mentorship turned into like a real leading coaching role in the last like especially this last season um but it was truly able to work because she worked with Raphael. it was uh like a once in a lifetime sort of opportunity to be able to go to the olympics as a coach i was going to work for nbc but um so many of like my friends that work at nbc were like do you plan on coaching ever again? And I was like, probably not. This is probably like my last like event as a coach. Mm. And they were like, you will work other Olympics, but you'll never go as a coach. And I knew it was really important to Mariah. I knew um, it was something Raphael really wanted. So I was able to like make it work, but it was like, it turned into a real full-time thing in the last season. That's lovely. So you were on the ground for what was easily the biggest story to come out of Beijing. And when I met you at South by Southwest and we talked about you coming on the show, I was like, I really (laughs) want to talk about Valieva. And if someone listening doesn't know all the ins and outs of that, I highly suggest listening to episode 238 of Burn It All Down. We went into everything around that fiasco, which was big. You were very vocal Mm -hmm. uh, in your dislike of how that case was handled. Actually, I remember logging in to Twitter and seeing your tweets and just being like, thank you, Adam. (laughs) Um, Especially because you were there and and part of the skating world. Who do you think was at fault there in terms of like the institutional side of how things went down, the decision makers around delaying the medal ceremony or allowing her to compete? Like we call it the alphabet soup. Mm. It's like WADA, Rosada, IOC, CAS, like who, who was at fault institutionally? Um, well, I do think it's the perfect storm of chaos, mm-hmm. right? Like, because nothing is normal 
in these times. And it all comes back to we are still living in a pandemic. Things are delayed. Results come back late. Um, you know, mm. things take longer. And so um, it stems from that. Um, I think to go back even a little bit further, um, I remember watching Camilla skate at the Olympics. It was the first time I had ever seen her skate in person. And I remember I called um, one of the analysts for NBC. You know, all of NBC was working in Connecticut. And so I was on the ground. And I right, remember calling right. just to kind of like chat about what I was seeing and what they were seeing from like, you know, their point of view. And I was like, Camilla is, um, I've never seen anything like it. I was like, I've never seen anybody who I think is so clearly better than everyone else that like she could yeah. make multiple huge errors and it won't be enough for anyone to catch up. It's unbelievable. I remember saying it's unbelievable. And then um, it was just a few days after that where it was like she had this positive drug test. That being said, we have always been suspicious of the Russians in every Olympic sport, um, especially mm -hmm. after this huge state-sponsored doping program was uncovered after the 2014 Games. And if you do follow figure skating, um, the Russian young women, all under the age of 17, have been incredibly dominant. Mm -hmm. um, there is one girl in her 20s, but every other girl, teenager. And not only teenager, but doing quadruple jumps, triple axles that, um, you know, if you go back to the... 2018 games, Mariah Nagasu was the only lady to land a triple axel at those games. Mm -hmm. I remember screaming. Me when too. she did it. <laughs> yes. And so there's only been a handful of these incredibly difficult elements. That being said, you know, technique and everything that improves and the skating improves and that it develops. But only these Russian women are consistently not doing a quadruple jump, multiple, five, three three and a triple axel, they're just head and shoulders above everyone else technically, uh -huh. that it's impossible to catch up. And I think the rest of the world has always kind of scratched their head and was like, okay, we just have to work, which the answer is still yes, we just still have to work. Mm -hmm. And then when the revelation of this drug test came forward, it was just, I was so angry because I didn't know what to believe. And mm. I was so ready and we were all so ready to celebrate this incredibly young, talented girl. Mm -hmm. And um, we couldn't. And um, I think because I, at that point, I had, you know, one foot out of the skating world and one foot in, um, that I was like, why is nobody saying anything? And I was like, it's really important to me. And I had a conversation with Mariah and was like, I want to say something, but I won't if it's distracting to you. But, you know, Mariah was like, it's more distracting that nobody's saying anything. Mm, yeah, of course. I would be more distracted and I'd be like on the brink of blowing up if no one was saying anything. Mm -hmm. So I said what I thought was the truth that, you know, doping does not belong in sport. It does not belong in Olympic competition. And uh, where do I think that she was failed? I think she was failed at home 
I always think she was failed by people around her and people that she trusted. You know, God love that they're doing an investigation, but we'll never know. My memory is that Rosada is doing the investigation. Right, which they're incredibly trustworthy. Yeah, um, of course. One of the most trustworthy <laughs> anti-doping agencies. But, you know, this if you don't know the story, how she had this uh, positive test was that she had done a, a local domestic competition in Russia. She was drug tested per the regulations of that competition. And her sample was on Christmas Day. It was a Christmas pee. On Christmas. Yeah. Easy to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> Christmas came early for a lot of the girls that day. <laughs> and so her a sample was sent to a lab in Stockholm because it was a... World Anti-Doping Agency test that was administered by Russian Anti-Doping Agency. Well, she competed in her first event, which was the team event, and blew everyone out of the water. Yeah, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I remember just thinking, this is insane. It's insane. It's unbelievable. It truly was unbelievable. And now we know it's not believable. So it was maybe the next day... Uh, I remember uh, the athletes were getting ready to go to the awards ceremony and on a bus that got just turned right back around. Wow, they were on the bus. They wow. were on the bus and they were just told that it was some, you know, legal issue, whatever. Yes. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's talking about what could it be? Could it be this? Could it be that? But, you know, nobody really was that suspicious of anything at that point. But then it was, um, the you know, the young 15-year-old phenom. And um, it was just uh, infuriating. It was infuriating. I do want to ask about Tutberetse and her coaching, mm. because I think like when we were talking about it and doing research, like it's it was pretty clear that she breaks her skaters, like the stuff that her skaters have talked about um, as like not being able to drink water and right. they break their bones in really catastrophic ways all the time. And why do you think it took Valieva's positive test for there to be like any real scrutiny around her coaching? And I, I honestly, I don't know how you feel about it, but there's a, I study abuse in sports all the time. And there's a part of me that thinks nothing will actually come of this, like that her coaching will continue in sort of the same vein. That's really hard for me to wrap my hands around. Well, it's hard for us as like Americans because of how we deal and see sport, right? Like if you're a coach in the United States, like you're a coach as a profession and as a career. And um, that means you are um, a teacher, but you're also in the service industry of like you. There's a lot of people, the majority of the people that you coach, they will not go to the Olympic Games. Right. But. A really good coach can get someone to the Olympic Games, but they can also have all of their former students who stopped working with them because they went to college come back and want to visit them hmm. because that person was so impactful on them as a young person. Because of that, they were able to really achieve so many other incredible things outside of the rink. Um, in Russia, uh, all sport is funded by the government. 
so you're a government employee and your job isn't to, um, you know, raise healthy athletes. Your job is to get medals and your job is to get results. So it's we're looking at it from two different complete perspectives, because if they're not meddling, it doesn't matter. Let, let me push back just a little bit. Please. In that like Tuparetze was like coach of the year from the ISU mm. in 2020. 21 yes like i'm wondering what it is in the figure skating world in general like i, I understand that dichotomy yes. that you're setting up and like but she's so accepted within the figure skating world in general even though we do know all of the stuff from her skater we can literally see it like there was the one girl they're all girls who broke her hip on mm -hmm. in warm-ups yes. or something uh, i think that's where it gets i don't I, I think that's where my frustration is like young bodies, eating disorders, injuries, abuse. And when you look at something like Joan Ryan's Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, or what, yes. like the two sports are gymnastics and figure skating, mm -hmm. right? Like, And then you look at Valieva and you look at Tuparetze and sort of her mm. wake, mm -hmm. I would say. That's where I'm like, where's the figure skating world on, on this? How, how is ISU giving her right. coach of the year? I think, uh, you know, ISU giving her coach of the year is um, a lot of people didn't agree with that because results aren't what makes a good coach. You know, mm -hmm. results mm -hmm. are like a byproduct of, you know, being successful and being, you know, you have to have be a good coach to have good results. But like, are you a good coach if your skaters are that that your students are at the top, but they're constantly changing because they're getting injured, they're retiring, or, you know, having mental breakdowns. That I mean, doesn't we make... saw, like, oh, my gosh, the end of the women's competition, girls' competition with the, like, breakdown. It was so awful. And I, the you know... The most surreal... You know, it was thing. just... You could see the way that they have all been pit against each other because yeah. I don't know if you could, like, see it, like, on TV, but the way that was and the way there was this footage of just, like, the winner of the event, Sherbakova, sitting alone in this alone room. Alone with her little stuffed animal. But where she was, right? that her teammate who was second was having this screaming, like, I'm not getting on the podium, this isn't fair, I should, you know, whatever. She's having it in the doorway. So it was, Anna wasn't by herself. She was in that room and was, like, basically, like, barricaded in by her teammate screaming that it was, all, everything was unfair and that they knew this and that all of this stuff. So Anna's in that room, in that space, <sighs> So all of her coaches are right there and they're seeing this and this is just business as usual. It was really awful. It was mm -hmm. very, very, mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, as young skaters, we watch the Olympics and we remember those like Olympic moments and the young skaters who watch this, like that's what they have to remember. These controversies, these mental breakdowns. Um, you know, it's awful. And I think that like there was this sort of mentality of like, okay, she's, you know, might have questionable coaching techniques, but she gets the job done. And like, I guess we just need to find a way to like work harder and get there. And this was like the first international response of like, actually, we knew it. We knew something was wrong and now we know it for sure. And um, I can guarantee you that like, this is not something maybe in Russia, but not in the international sports community that will be swept under the rug. You believe that? 
You believe that? I I really hope to believe it because I think that like people have felt like, wow, what they're doing seems impossible. And now I think people are upset. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's the argument of like an endurance drug doesn't, you know, can't make you do a quad, which is true. But like if that golden, you know, theory of like 10,000 hours um, makes you excellent at something, you can get to 10,000 hours a lot faster if you're never getting tired. Yes. And that's the mentality. And there's just the part of it. I mean, she just started skating on the pro on the like uh, elite circuit, right? Like months yes. before. So I had yeah. never seen her. And I tune in for the team competition. And I was like, she is so skinny. Mm. And that's part of it too, right? The ability to do a quad. It's like you can't have hips. There is that sort of infantilized right. body. You have to donate their mm-hmm. your hips. Yeah. yeah. It's like that part makes me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just so much about it that bothers me. And it's such a bummer on some level because like you said, she's fantastic. Yeah. Like you could just tell you were seeing something different. Yes. You were watching something um different. But now we know we were watching a science experiment. Yeah. And like where will she be in three years? You know, right. and we'll probably never see her again. Exactly. The Olympic cycle will go by and she'll be too old. And she'll probably have hips by then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that that mentality of like um, in skating, there's obviously this aesthetic part to it, but it's people drive themselves nuts to be as thin as possible for performance sake. You know, I I did it. I remember someone you- told me someone on Twitter told me that you used to like that you celebrated being able to eat dressing on salad mm-hmm. after years of somehow subsisting on two pieces of dry toast and coffee. And I was going to ask you if that was true. Yeah, it was true. Okay, that was from Kelly. I want to shout out. Um, and she wanted to know like, are training situations healthier now for most or all skaters? Like, did your struggles did they help raise awareness and help skaters be healthier? Are you seeing changes around that? Um, I think that, uh, it is healthier. I do. I hope it is right. Um, but I do think that that mentality of like, be as light as possible is almost becoming a lazy mentality. Hmm. Will you explain that? What do you mean by? I think that it's just easier to think that like somebody who is, um, thin and they get there in an unhealthy way that, um, I think that we can see now because people try to skate longer or the elements are so much harder that that wear and tear on a body that's not getting nourished properly doesn't sustain, um, that there's, you have to find a balance. And I think a big reason of why I broke my foot was that like, I just wasn't eating. And so like in that next year, I, yeah. And it was like, I had no body issue. I never looked in the mirror. Door dash you some fries or something. After Don't you say I've that. had my fair share of them in the last <laughs> few years. I'm not, yeah. Uh-huh. But I think um I was just trying to be as good as I could be. And I was like, I know that this isn't good, but I don't have a problem because I don't see like oh, I wish I looked this way. I was like, I'm just, I'm a, if I'm a robot, I'm going to do everything I can to make this like robot work as well as I could. Um, And, you know, this, this sick and twisted thing is that like, um, you know, I wasn't as much getting praised for my size, but I was getting praised for how much better I was getting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say in that year of the Olympics, I was heavier, albeit a few pounds, Um, and I was consistently heavier and I changed where like my 
goal weight because I, you know, in sport, it's really hard to be like, I'm not going to weigh myself. You have to weigh yourself because it gives you a gauge of where am I? And, um, you know, in the summer when you're not doing a lot of run throughs, you're going to gain weight. And so if you're going to gain weight, it's harder on your body to do your harder elements. And so what my coach did would be like, he would say, make sure you're always checking your weight and don't start doing the harder things until like you get your body into shape. And that what he meant by that was that like, you need to start doing run throughs and you need to take it off in a normal way. You need to take it off through cardio, not through like starving. And when I would do that, you know, I wouldn't be like making mistakes or trying to muscle through something and then like mess up my knees or like have my hips start to hurt. And so it's important to know where is your weight. So you learn like what's weight, what's too low. You learn what feels too high and you learn like what's my range. And that range is like seven pounds. And so like you have to be comfortable in knowing that like, that's where I am because I have a body and I'm a human. Um, and I think that like people are learning now that finding that range is more important to your overall health as an athlete, more so than like just being as thin as possible and throwing it all out there and just seeing what happens because the elements and the skating is too demanding to do that now. Yeah. Wow. I know I've taken up a lot of your time and I appreciate it. I have just a few more questions. That's okay. I don't mind at all. I love chatting with you. Okay, great. Um, so one of my co-hosts, Shireen, uh, has some questions for you. And these are very Shireen questions, which will make sense when I ask them to you. Okay. okay. So her first one is, where did your costume design inspiration come from? Okay. So um, who made my costumes was a friend of mine. And I always said that I wanted them to be as tight as possible and kind of slutty. <laughs> I wanted them to be kind of slutty because I was always sort of like, this is a little dangerous. And so I would think about that and less about being at the competition. What did, what did slutty mean to you? What does a little bit slutty mean? Slutty meant mesh, different colors <laughs> okay. of mesh. I just wore, because I also didn't like, sometimes you like, when you're in practice, you wear like tight clothes and you wear like tight fitting stuff. So that like, you know, there's nothing just like flying around. Um, and sometimes in competition, somebody would be like, wear a flowy shirt. So I'd be like, oh, where does all this material? <laughs> and so I was like, I just want tight shit and I want to look slutty. And for me, that was like, maybe a nipple isn't covered Ooh. or like, you know, whatever. Like I have like the zipper down a little lower. Of course, like this is like very sort of CCD Catholic school version of being <laughs> slutty. That's where my inspiration came from. Ah. So basically, I gave him very small perimeters to work with. I was like, Brayden, tight, mesh, slut. Go ahead. <laughs> Go. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay. She also wants to know if you could skate with one skater in the past or present, who would it be? Um, I think I would have to choose Michelle Kwan. And oh. I've gotten to skate with her. Oh, yeah? Um, but if I could, like, train with somebody, obviously, I think, you know, she's probably my biggest idol in the sport. Um, and, you know, as a person, I just think she's just amazing. Mm. And this is literally the most strange question that exists in the world. Do you have a favorite food? And if so, what is it? Okay. My favorite food is um, ice cream. I think cookie dough ice cream. Oh. I could eat it every day, all day. We have a store here in Texas called HEB. It's our grocery store. And mm -hmm. they make their own ice creams. And they have one called Cookies Over Texas. And it is cookies and cream 
mixed with cookie dough. It's a perfect food. It's truly the next time that you come to Texas. Oh yeah, Adam, I ha- I have. We will to. get you some cookies over. Texas. It's mind blowing that that hasn't been done nationwide. I've been told that there is a some cashier at HEB told me that there is some bigger ice cream. So we'll have to look for it. Okay. Well, from their lips to God's ear. And then the last questions that I got from Twitter were about USA Skating. Mm-hmm. And so Jen asked, what's next for USA Skating given some serious retirements this year? And then related from Kimmy, mm-hmm. she wanted to know, how do you keep US skaters relevant without a nationalized system? So where's USA Skating right now? I think, um, you know, a good question is where is it? And also like, where is the world level of skating? There's going to be a huge amount of retirements. And also I think because we think there will be a huge amount, there might not be that there's going to be a lot of carryover. Um, But in the last probably two Olympic cycles, I think probably for the last like eight years, U.S. figure skating has really tried to overhaul um, their whole program and it's a completely different system than I grew up in Um, and they really are trying to make sure that they can get their higher level athletes all together to train more consistently together to kind of foster that competitive environment Um, because you know in skating everybody trains with their own coach and their own training town Um, so I trained in Los Angeles. There were Team USA teammates that were in Colorado Springs and Boston and Florida Mm -hmm. like all over the country Um, And I think now they're trying to make sure that they can get everyone together so that like, you know, the coaches can collaborate, the skaters can see what's going on, they can foster more of that competitive environment. And I think that like, you know, we'll see if this like overhaul uh, pays off in the next Olympic cycle, because, you know, a lot of those big stars um, are going to start to kind of creep through the rankings now. Um, And I think, you know, there's going to be like a lot of fresh faces coming into um, when, when we watch the Olympics again in Milan. Maybe we can have you on again when we get back to that Olympic cycle and you can tell us all about these new skaters. I'm ready. I'm ready. Awesome. Well, Adam Rapon, thank you so much for coming on Burn It All Down. It was a real honor. Oh, the honor and privilege is all mine. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and tune in. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. And thank you to our patrons. Your support means the world. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. As always, burn on and not out.